I don't think that we should have to settle. And there's a lot of interesting work out there. And and I quit to focus on, I'm, I write and I was quitting to focus on freelance writing and to climb and travel. And I was teaching wilderness medicine for a local company. And so I was going to do some more work with them. But mostly I was quitting to just like see what happened next. That's executive director of the Honold Foundation, change maker, and newly minted connoisseur of hot yoga, Dory Trimble. And this is the Wilder Mind Podcast. My mind grows wilder When I stoke that fire inside Hear the call in the distance It's a long road worth your while Hey, hi, hello everyone and welcome to the Wilder Mind Podcast. I am your host, Cody Camerlin, and thank you so much for being here with the pod. Today, I am psyched in all caps to share the words of the BAAF Dory Trimble coming straight to your mind and ears from Salt Lake City. Funny enough, Dory and I actually became friends through Instagram in April of last year. By May, we were roping up to climb in Big Cottonwood Canyon just outside of Salt Lake, and by October, we were living on opposite sides of town. In fact, when she moved out of her old place, I moved in. So that's the history there. Throughout the time that I've known Dory, she has played a huge role in helping me build the confidence to walk away from my corporate self and explore ways to build a career in the spaces and communities that mean the most in my life. For me, one of the first steps in this process that she helped me realize was the need to be honest with myself. I was no longer showing up the way I wanted to in any aspect of my life. Once I was able to swallow that bitter pill, it all became very apparent. On October 27th of last year, I closed the door to my office for the last time, met some friends for a celebratory dinner, and the next day, I left. I hit the road for an extended trip to spend time with some of my favorite people in my favorite places. A couple of weeks later, I packed the U-Haul, and pushed east for Utah. Tell the truth to yourself And the rest will fall in place Tell the truth to yourself And the rest will fall in place Amongst all the changes in life, community, relationships, and career, one thing stands high amongst them all. No matter the journey, life will be challenging. It will be hard and confusing. It's a tricky and ever-changing dance to keep everything in balance. So sometimes you just have to channel some Lizzo and feel good as hell. Feeling good yet? Hell yeah, me too. And you know what? That's freaking great. We should make time and space to just feel good. Beyond all of the contrived, pick yourself back up when life is hard quotes that are pasted onto an overly saturated mountain sunset photo. Let's just remember to take a breath. Shake out the shit that life piles on 
and just laugh, dance, rage, riot, and enjoy the moment. We're all going hard as hell at life. So sometimes you just need to eat a freaking cookie. Mm. Oh, these cookies. I gotta get the retrograde from Les. And do the damn thing. Put that cookie down now. Dory. Hi. Finally, this it's happened. All it's all happening. <laughs> the cool thing is, what day is today? It's the first, right? The second. The second. Yeah. So almost a month ago to the day, mm-hmm. we would have said we're in your house. Oh, yeah, that's true. And now we're in your house. <laughs> <laughs> well, that worked out nicely. Yeah, it did. It's very convenient. It is quite convenient. So, yeah, we've been, this, I'm glad this finally happened. It's been yeah. in the works for a bit. Totally. Yeah. yeah. We keep talking about it and then we just end up going rock climbing instead. So, it's nice to finally be like, I think the fact that we live in the same city now, it's like, oh, like this is, time isn't a limited resource. Like, let's record a podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, because um, it's a good thing that today was a podcast day and not a rock climbing day. Yeah. Because we both climb very badly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a process. It's it is a process. A process. <laughs> so what, uh, I was going to say, what brings us to Salt Lake? I mean. But we live here. Jesus. Yeah. That, yeah. But I mean, what brings you to Salt Lake is maybe a more interesting question. You, want, you know, it's funny is I, I get that and I keep telling people different answers. Oh, interesting. Because I don't know. I just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. Like, well, when I came to see you the first time. Yep. I was slash in and out to see if it's somewhere I could live. And I Mm -hmm. fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of put it out of my mind until my Mm -hmm. birthday when we were climbing in City of Rocks. And you said, hey, I'm moving into my own apartment. I'm like, cool, I'll move into your room. (laughs) (laughs) It's really, it's it's truly a friendship tale as old as time. It's like, become (laughs) friends, move into each other's old houses. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it's good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you have been here for a long time. Yeah, well, I, w- I grew up here, and then I left for college and was gone for a while, and I moved back probably, I think, four or five years ago now, um, and I've been here ever since. It's a really good place to live. So. And what uh, the time between college and yep. coming back here, there was a yep. lot of life happening for you that led to, to where you are now with the Honnold Foundation, but mm-hmm. I think it all builds up nicely to being available and, and willing and ready to do that. So totally. what does that look like? Because you were working in, and you're going to kill me if I get this wrong. <laughs> It had to do with medical and insurance, correct? Yeah, totally. That is one of the jobs I've had. Yeah, so, <laughs> so it, like it, in a in a linear sequence. So I went to college in Ohio. I went to Oberlin, studied English, um, graduated, worked in West Virginia, um, doing outdoor education for a season. Um, really close to I didn't climb them, but I was really close to Seneca Rocks, which is a climbing area there. Um, and then I was in the Peace Corps for That's right. almost three years in the Dominican Republic. Then I came back to the States, lived in Boone, North Carolina. Still didn't rock climb, but there's really good rock climbing in Boone. Um, (laughs) And that's where I was doing work that had to do with health insurance. It was the first year of the Affordable Care Act. And um, I had two jobs. I was a um, health outreach worker for migrant farm workers. So there's like a really big Mexican migrant farm worker community in that part of North Carolina. Um, Fun fact, that's where like most Christmas trees come from. Really? Yeah. And most of those Christmas trees are being grown by guys in the States on H-2A guest worker visas. Um, And so they spend like 10 months out of the year living in North Carolina and housing provided by the farm owners. And then they go home for two months a year to visit their families in Mexico right after the Christmas tree harvest. And then they come back. Wow. And so a lot of the guys that we were working with had been in, they'd been doing that cycle of travel for like decades, um, which is pretty bananas. Yeah. Um, So I was like a fake nurse. I worked with um, one other young woman. 
Um, and we would do like, we check people's blood sugar. We do diabetes education. Um, we did like some like sexual health education. And then I was a medical interpreter too. So we do like case management stuff. And then I was also helping people sign up for health insurance. Wow. Um, but that part of North Carolina kind of sucks. You heard it here first. <laughs> and so after that job, I moved back to Salt Lake to work in um, healthcare at the hospital system here. How did the, what was the bridge between an English degree and healthcare? Was that the Peace Corps work? It's all totally a coincidence. I mean, the, it's funny, like people are like, oh, like an English degree, like you studied underwater basket weaving. It's like, that's completely useless. And it's like, Eh, like on some level, I think all undergraduate degrees are useless. Like if you're not going to be a doctor, like yeah. it's like, it doesn't like you're too young to really learn anything anyways. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I wish I could go back to undergrad now. Same. And like, yeah, because it's like, I want to learn all those many different things from like smart people, uh-huh. but they don't really do undergrad for people in their thirties. It turns out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so the healthcare stuff was sort of a coincidence. Like I leaving Peace Corps, I was looking for work that had a social good component and um, my language skills were like one of my best qualifications. And um, yeah, I ended up in that outreach position just kind of cause it sounded cool and they offered me the job and I was interested in moving to North Carolina and that springboarded me into work with the hospital system in Salt Lake. Um, but yeah, I mean like, it's not like I've ever been like really, really interested in healthcare. I'm just interested in like work that has to do with social good and I like learning new systems. And so like working in healthcare was like a new space to explore. Yeah. And and the social good. I remember reading about, I forget, it was somewhere on, maybe it was your bio, mm. where you talked about being in the solar space with Honold Foundation to you was a, it was a social good thing mm-hmm. because I, I believe the analogy you gave was some young girl in, you know, a, a developing world country um, would get electricity. Mm-hmm. and have light in the evening time to study. And I, I never thought of it that way because I, it just wasn't something I unfortunately hadn't thought a lot about. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, but it, it really made, makes a huge amount of sense mm-hmm. and a huge amount of difference. These things that we just take for granted, right? Totally. Yeah, and energy access is one of those things that like it's not that sexy. Like you don't wake up every morning and think like, God, it's so nice to be able to turn on the lights. Like it's just a thing that we all do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that people who do work on like you know, like water, for example, is something that I think is like a little bit sexier. It's like everyone understands it as this basic need. We all know what it's like to be thirsty. Like sure, if, yeah. if you spend time in the backcountry, <laughs> you know what it's like to run out of water, not know where your next source is. It's like a lot easier to get people to emote around it. Yeah. And energy access is like, it's just a little bit harder to sell. And for me, and that was true for me when I first started working for HF too, I was like, okay, like we do energy access work, but like why? (laughs) And like, I think really thinking critically about the ways in which it opens up other, like it makes other things possible. Like once you have power, you can move on to other things. And it also increases your access to like information and it like gives you more time because it's not dark out all the time. Like it's a really, it's an interesting tool, I think. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people are maybe seeing glimpses of that um, who aren't outdoorsy, who don't go backcountry camping or mm-hmm. you know spend evenings in their car or their van without constant electricity uh, with the fires and the rolling mm-hmm. blackouts or the yep. forced blackouts, I guess, in like central California. Mm-hmm. I remember reading an article about people freaking out not having had power for a couple of days. Right. Um, and my first thought was, well, have you ever been outdoors? <laughs> right. <laughs> you must not be an outdoors person. And second, I'm thinking that would... That's nothing compared to 
whole parts of the world that mm-hmm. just simply don't have power. For sure. But but at the same time, like power isn't just like a luxury item, right? For a lot of people, it's like a ser- it's a serious need. If you yes. are diabetic and need to refrigerate your insulin, Absolutely. like something else we talk about is like people who are on, who need oxygen or who use CPAP machines. Like there are a lot of medical implications to not having energy access. And like, if you don't have a ton of money, having all the food in your refrigerator go bad can be like a serious, serious problem. Oh, heck yeah. Um, I mean, even when I was in the Peace Corps, I was lucky enough to live in a place that mostly had power, but occasionally we'd lose power. And I had like, a little fridge and like it is such a pain in the ass when like you don't have refrigeration refrigeration oh, is awesome it's awesome <laughs> yes <laughs> so it's like yeah they're that they're like the serious medical implications they're the financial implications and then it's also just like a straight-up convenience implication like it's really hard to feed yourself when you can't th- keep things cold oh yeah um, or yeah. also when you yourself are cold like it's yeah, just totally. hard to build the motivation to to do things yeah, besides yeah. lay there and try to stay warm for sure and <laughs> it's interesting one of our um, one of the hf's grantees we actually just committed to a um a multi-year funding, um, a multi-year grant for um, Grid Alternatives North Valley office. Um, And one of the things they're working on is helping people who are affected by the campfire rebuild their homes. And also they're doing energy storage support for people who are being affected by the planned blackouts. Wow. So getting getting battery storage into the homes of people who have pressing needs. Oh, that's um, incredible. Yeah, who like may in fact have like medical conditions that mean that if they don't have power, they're in serious trouble. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty rad. It's, It's cool to be able to support that work directly. So a bird actually hit the window while we were talking, which was a bit distracting and led to a little bit of side conversation. But we eventually picked back up to chat about Dory's origins with the Honold Foundation. Two years ago, but a month ago, like two years ago in September, (laughs) I was meeting Alex for the first time and Mari Birdwell, who was then the executive director and is now our board chair for the first time. Um, and Britt Gibbons, who was then the director of operations and is now on the board, um, meeting them all for the first time in Yosemite. Um, I had just come on as an intern that summer and, um, we'd been having conversations about like the mission and like a plan for the year. And I can't totally remember how we decided that going to Yosemite was like the idea, but yeah, I like packed my bags and like flew to San Francisco and Britt picked me up at the airport in S- at SFO in a rental car because she lives in the Bay but doesn't own a car. And uh, yeah, we like drove to Yosemite and spent the weekend with Alex and Mari and, and Sonny and like a bunch of other people who like are now sort of like a part of my universe um, thinking about the foundation and wow. kind of where we were going. And, and that's when like I started getting paid after that weekend Um, and things moved really quickly after that. Um, I transitioned from being an intern to like, I think we briefly called me a media and strategy fellow, which like fellow is my favorite shorthand for like glorified intern. It just, it looks way better on resumes. Totally. That's actually a hot tip to anyone who's looking for interns. Call them fellows. It's like, you'll get way more qualified candidates. I also feel like that looks really, I actually, I really wanted to be a fellow. It seems like you have to be highly educated to become a fellow. (laughs) Right. It's like, actually you just need to call it a fellowship. Like that's the whole, as far as I can tell. Wow. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. So there's there's approach. But yeah, so I became a fellow and then um, that spring I became director of operations and then I think that summer is when I became executive director. Wow. Yeah. So it was less than a year between when I started and when I took over leadership. That happened fast. Yeah, it happened really fast. And what, what was the scope? Has it changed since then? Was it, I mean, it had to be a little more narrowly focused at the time just to get somewhere or... 
kind of. I think that as opposed to like a broad versus narrow focus, the change has more had to do with like a clarity around focus. When I joined the team, we were still making decisions based almost exclusively off of like what Alex was into, which still informs our work in like Mm -hmm. a significant way. Like Alex is a really big part of the grant review process. We talk really regularly, like he's deeply involved in the direction of the organization. But when I first joined the team, it was like, we were it wasn't really an organization. Like it, we gave grants out mostly to organizations that Alex thought was cool. Um, And there was no infrastructure. Like, there wasn't a clear sense of who got funding besides like we're funding them because we like them. There wasn't really any evaluation structure. Um, and and we also weren't a 501c3. So when I joined the team, oh. HF was a donor advised fund, um, which it turns out people call them DAFs for short. It's a really common framework. Um, I think the best way to think about it is like if, I don't know, Cody, if like you have a bajillion dollars and you want to give a bunch of it away, but you don't want to be responsible for any of the accounting. You put all of it into a DAF at, you could do that at a bank. You could do it at someplace like the Tides Foundation, which is where our money was, which is, I think of it as kind of like a nonprofit incubator. And then that organization takes care of all the nonsense. They do your tax reporting. They follow up with grantees. They manage accountability. Mm. All you have to do is make a recommendation on where you want the money to go. And then they carry it out. Wow. So that's what we were when I joined the team. Um, so like if you made a donation to the Honnold Foundation four years ago, it would show up as a gift to the Tides Foundation directed towards the Honnold Foundation donor advised fund. Oh, it's okay. Like, it's kind of wonky. Yeah. But DAFs have limitations too. And it can be confusing for donors. You can't pay anybody out of a DAF. Like they're specific for giving money away. Got it. It's not like a fully fledged organizational structure. It's basically like a bank account that you can make grants out of. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And so about... A year ago in September was when um, we became an independent 501c3. And that opens up like way more possibilities in terms of self-governance, in terms of independence, in terms of things like hiring. That's when we built a board. Um, So it's all pretty wonky. But basically, we transitioned from being a bank account to being an organization in the way that most people think of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. That seems like that's probably a pretty big lift to to get to that point where you have the means to do it. And then like the... The need, really, right? To, totally. To have a board, start hiring people, give people health insurance, things like that. Totally. And like, I didn't know how to do any of that shit. <laughs> like, the, the whole the whole thing has been me being like, oh, I need to hire some people. I guess I should learn how to hire people. <laughs> and so then I learn how to hire people, and then I hire people, and then I'm like, oh, I guess I should learn how to manage people. And then I learn how to manage people. Like, it's like that. It's like the joke about the piano instructor who's like one lesson ahead of their students. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's definitely been a little bit of that. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible though. Like when you look back and think you came on as an intern and then you're through these iterations and now you're legitimately running mm-hmm. a business that you've had a huge hand in building, um, from a whiteboard really. I mean, that's, that's gotta be wild. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. Like, I think it's one of those things where when you're in it, it's hard to see what's changed. Oh, for sure. Um, and that's something that I try to remind myself to do because it's so easy to just get like in the weeds because there's always something else. Like it's not like, it's not like I wake up one morning and I'm like, everything is great. Like (laughs) like, we're done. Like (laughs) we're there. Totally. It's like, cause that, that progression of learning new skills, it's like, it's still happening. It's happening right. It happens every single day. And I think that the rate of change is slowing down a little bit. Like we're starting to plateau. It's been like so astronomical for the last year. 
not in terms of, of growth, in terms of donations or in terms of grants out, but just in terms of like the internal organizational work, like that's starting to plateau a little. And that gives me time to like breathe and remember that like, this is actually pretty badass and like we're in a really different place than we used to be. Oh yeah. But it's hard. I mean, I would be lying if I said like, I'm like, yeah, like I'm fucking crushing it. Like I don't (laughs) feel that way. Like I feel like I'm doing the absolute best I can and I'm trying harder than I've ever tried at anything. And I feel like I'm getting it about 80% right. And that's a passing grade. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's pretty good. I, I feel like to, to, for like, you know, it's 230 somethings to say we're getting life 80% right. That's pretty good. Well, I'm getting work 80% right. Yes. Life is probably, <laughs> I would put that number a little bit lower actually. <laughs> but, but I think that makes it all the more important to look back at that because then you can start to examine also that work-life balance. Totally. Um, and, and one thing that really struck me, because I think when, when we traditionally think of work-life balance, we think of time, purely mm-hmm. just time. And it was when we were climbing in City of Rocks um, that we talked about the stresses that our activities can put and how that is a huge chunk of work-life balance. Mm -hmm. Um, So the example that we had was climbing well below both of our grade, but feeling some level of stress about it or wanting it to not be stressful. Like I was super stressed Mm -hmm. on like a 5.7 I parked it for I don't know how long thinking, <laughs> what do I, I forgot how to climb. I guess I'm not a climber anymore. But then having to realize like, oh, I've been on the road for like 11 hours and haven't mm-hmm. slept much. And like I was stressed about life. And you mentioned that that was one thing you were trying to do is climbing should be fun. The activities we go do should be fun and they shouldn't add stress to what could already be a very stressful existence. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, is, how does that look for you these days? Um, not, that wasn't even that much long ago. Yeah, a lot has changed since then, though. But has that, like, been incorporating more where you can find ways just to really enjoy all these activities and the hot yoga? And the- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think it's hard, too, when it's, like, climbing is is such a piece of our identities, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have my job if I didn't climb. Like, my community is totally shaped by climbing. Like, most of my relationships have been shaped by climbing. Like, it, And then when you feel like you're kind of shitty at it, it's mm. like it's who you are. And yeah. so it's like, oh, God damn it. Like if I'm bad at climbing, am I just bad at everything? Like it's so hard to separate. It's yeah, it is. Yeah. And, Oof. and I think that that's been something that I've been trying to figure out how to do this year. Cause like it, my job has been wicked stressful. Like it feels like there's a lot at stake and I feel the same sort of emotional commitment to the success of the Honnold foundation that I've sometimes felt to climbing oh, where sure. it's like, I feel really wrapped up in it for better or for worse. And so when my work is like really intense and like really emotionally intense, um, in part just because like learning that many new skills that quickly is it's psychologically exhausting. Yes, it is. And like sometimes you screw it up. It's like you can't get everything right. Like when there's that, it, it makes me think of like um, it's like that video game Fruit Ninja. Did you ever have that on oh your phone? With like the like cutting the fruits. <laughs> yeah. It's like the fruits start coming too fast and you can't cut them all. Like, <laughs> like it's like it's not that you're bad at cutting fruits. It's that there are too many fruits. <laughs> and like that, that has sort of been my scene recently. And it's like it makes you sad when you can't get to them all. And it means that when I go climbing, it's like I don't have any psychological reserves left. Told, yes. Like some of my best climbing has happened when the rest of my life is really chill because I have a high threshold for being challenged. It's like, I, yeah, like my cup is full. It's like, I go, I try something. It's hard. I fail. I fail. I fail. I fail, but it's okay Absolutely. because I have, I'm so much more resilient because the rest of my life isn't asking for that from me. 
Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, and like when the rest of my life demands that resilience, when like the rest of my life is complex and challenging and and engaging and involves a lot of learning and a lot of failure, like I go climbing and like things get hard and I'm terrified or like I'm I sports cried recently, which is like it's been a hot minute since climbing has made me sports cry. Are you familiar with sports crying? No. It's crying while you're doing sports. That's what I figured it yeah. was. Okay. <laughs> I thought maybe there was something else to it. Though. No, that's it. That's the whole thing. It was wow. um, my friend Lila uses sports cry. Uh, they introduced me to the term sports cry. And for them, it's in the context of like competition usually. Oh, sure. Um, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I can't. That. Yeah. <laughs> I can't relate to that because I'm aggressively non-competitive. It's more like it's more like that feeling when you're like, this is hard and I'm scared. and like, oh, God, now I'm crying. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and like. Like sports crying is not usually a part of my climbing repertoire, but it's just because like I, I don't have anything left. Yeah. Um, and so figuring out, I don't have it dialed in by any stretch of the imagination, but like I am climbing less than I used to. Um, I'm doing other things that are type one fun. I had this conversation with someone at the access fund summit in Seattle. I was like, yeah, like, I don't know, like climbing's just like kind of taking it out of me. And she was like, yeah, like I've got kids, like, it's like, I'm exhausted all the time. I was like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, like I've been thinking about, it. she's like, did you take up mountain biking? And I was like, I did take up mountain biking. <laughs> she's like, me too. <laughs> it's like, you got to find some stuff that like, that's easy. Yeah. So totally. like sometimes things should be easy. We need, yeah. Cause life in itself is rather difficult sometimes. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Leave what's heavy. What's heavy behind? Leave what's heavy. What's heavy behind? Sometimes things should be easy, plain, and simple, because life is often hard and full of challenges. So please remind yourselves of this often, and it bears repeating. Sometimes things should be easy. Something that I see a lot in Salt Lake, Salt Lake's like a pretty strong community in general. Like people get after it. Yeah. And you know, I'm like fit. I like do my best. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I see people conflating fitness and performance with like your worth as a human being. Yeah. And like that shit makes you sad really fast because like (laughs) I'm not a professional athlete. Like I'm professional athlete adjacent. Like there's a difference. (laughs) And and I think like giving yourself space to do things where it's like, like I've really been enjoying going to yoga because like nobody gives a fuck how good you are at yoga. Like you don't leave yoga and like tell everybody that you like really sent it. It's like, I like did some (laughs) sick binds in yoga. It's like, nobody cares. And I think that that's like, it's, it's important to find things you can do where it's like no one, you don't feel like you have to measure yourself against other people. And like, again, I'm, I'm super non-competitive, but it's like, it's in the water here. It's, it's funny you say that because well, like today when you handed me the peanut butter cups, <laughs> you were like, I'm, I'm fairly certain you're not going to eat these. And I ate them both in like two seconds. It's a little alarming. honestly. <laughs> yeah. it, so when I moved here, my initial thought, and I think there was also a lot to do with the life change that occurred when I moved mm-hmm. here, having like no nine to five job. Mm-hmm. Um, I was ready to jump into yeah. that Fucking ecosystem. Like, yeah. oh. <laughs> and now I'm kind of like, you know what? All these fuckers are so high above me and they've been here for so long that I'm going to take the slow path. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to enjoy the time that I'm training and not 
like totally kill myself with the way I eat. Right. And be like always pissed off and hungry. I'm like, yeah. I'm just gonna have a good time. I'm just gonna have fun. Totally. Cause it's like, what the fuck is the point even? Like we all do this because we like being in the mountains. Right? Like that's the point. Isn't that like, the point? I, yes. Totally. It's like, I do it because I like having like transformative, delightful relationships with my friends and like having crazy experiences together and yeah. like going exploring. It's like, that's what I like. And then before you know it, you're like, like, drinking protein drinks and like training and like fuck training dude like truly fuck training like i mean i love training okay but 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 here but but hear me out hear me out like training suggests that like you're preparing for something else that hasn't happened yet it's like literally the opposite of the journey not the destination like the premise of training is that you're putting in work for some future goal and that the intermediate is some other category it's not like an experience worth having independently it's not an objective in and of itself it's preparation for some other thing that matters more and like i just don't i like don't believe in that I mean, I know it makes, I mean, I'm never going to fucking climb the Dawn wall. Like I need to, I would need to be care about training if I had like big outrageous objectives. But like, I think that like the premise of training is like, I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to train. I'm going to like get after it. I'm like getting ready for this thing. And it's like, why can't you just go do something wonderful and have that be an, like, why isn't that good enough? Like, isn't the experience (laughs) enough? Do you know what I mean? Actually, that's a great point because I consistently get asked, what are you training for right now? Right. And I don't have anything particular in mind. I know like the category of things I want to do, but when I can't tell someone like I'm training for this ultra or for this big climb, they just discredit all like, Oh, so you're just working out. (laughs) Right. But I'm working out pretty hard here. I feel like I'm putting a lot of effort into it. Yeah. But you're right. If you're not training for something, it's like, it doesn't matter anymore. Right. And like, and I don't know. I mean like not to talk too much shit on it. Like my friend Keith, last year was like training to free moonlight buttress and he was like auto bling like a boss and like I get that like he's like working on his fitness he's like trying to get super dialed for this big objective and like him and his buddy Kenny went and like did really good work on it and like wow. that's awesome that's all- way cool yeah yeah like I see that but I feel like I feel like sometimes training gets used it's like a part of this whole discourse where it's like how hard you get after it yeah. is how good you are as a person yeah you and I've talked about that several times and it really there was never a point where I didn't agree with it, but I never thought about it. Yeah. And the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, I have fed into this my entire life. Mr. Garmin over here. Yes. <laughs> I see you, Cody. I see you in your Garmin. But I have not replaced it. Dude, good for you. Yeah. And That's I feel awesome. good about that. I, yeah. feel, I actually feel like I'm running better. Interesting. Because I'm not, I'm always, always worried about what my stats were. Mm. And I mean, it got to the ridiculous point of like my Strava account. Uh-huh. I felt like, okay, if I'm really pushing it hard and I take a break, do I stop the watch and appear dishonest or do I let it roll and take the hit for like walking for a brief like five seconds, what that'll do to my pace? Because you can actually dig into somebody's Strava and see here's their moving time Uh and then here's their tracking time. Right. It is ridiculous what we put into this. Totally. And it's it's stressful. I would always be stressing about my run and Mm -hmm. what people are going to think. No one gives a shit. And it's like, who's it for? Nobody. Totally. I had this this other conversation with my friend Lila because we like spend a lot of time outside together. And um, they're like super competitive. And we like hike together a lot. And we were climbing Mount Timpanogos, which is like down south a little bit. Super beautiful. Really nice, like long day hike. And there was another party ahead of us. And my response to like there being a party ahead of us that's like pretty close or like someone close on your tail is like I step off the trail and let them pass because like I don't want them up in my business. Like I just want to be able to have my day. And Lila goes into like 
fucking power mode and it's like exactly what they do totally and it's like i'm gonna walk as fast as i can like we have to pass these people and i'm like yo chill and so the running joke is that like my bit is like it's not about you like i don't really care what anybody else is doing like this is about me and like lila's bit is like this is about you (laughs) like this is about me passing you <laughs> yes, Lila, I see you and I will die on that hill with you. Quick story. The first time I visited Salt Lake City, Dory and I climbed a multi-pitch rock climb in. We were in big. In big. Mm-hmm. Then the day after, I ran up Grandeur Peak. Yeah, because Grandeur Peak's like where you go if you want to like run up a steep thing. And partway up, I saw people ahead of me and then thought, I have to pass all of them. <laughs> but the problem is, once I passed them, I had another thought, which sounded like, Crap, now the next goal is to get to the summit and turn around before they even reach the summit, which I dug deep to do. And it didn't actually matter. And it also hurt. Yeah. And I mean, like, and to give you some credit, like, probably that's a part of what makes you such a strong athlete. Like, I think being motivated by other people's benchmarks can be really powerful. And it's not like a, it's not like, I don't know. Sometimes I sound a little bit dogmatic when I talk about stuff like this because I'm like, that's stupid. But really, it's like it's stupid for me. I think that for some people being motivated by like motivated by other people's benchmarks is how you become really great. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right, because I used to be the same way. Very dogmatic about everything. uh, I'd be like, well, it's stupid to feel that way. Right. (laughs) I'm like, like, (laughs) because I don't. Right. But at the same time, like and I appreciate you're saying, but we climb at the same grade. If not, like, I mean, I think sport-wise, you're probably above me. Um, so maybe it's not super beneficial. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it depends on how you learn. Like, I've always been, this, especially this experience with the Hanum Foundation has reminded me of the fact that, like, I'm not the kind of person who has a five-year plan. Like, I don't have a five-year plan. I don't have a three-year plan. I don't really have a one-year plan, except for the fact that I have a lease that goes through at least a year. I don't even have a lease. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You don't. <laughs> Living the dream. But, I mean, I think, too, that, like, for some people, it's really people approach challenges in different ways. Yeah. And, like, I like to build the rocket ship while I fly it. And I like to do it without anybody else, like, up in my business. Um, and some people I think prefer to have, like, I know people who perform a lot better when they have really clear expectations, like when there are guidelines in place, when it's like, okay, this is the mark I'm trying to reach now. I just have to go reach it. Certainly. And I actually don't really like that because oftentimes it feels like there's only one right way. That's why I like trad climbing because you can kind of do whatever you want. It's like, you want a bolt, place a piece, place a piece. (laughs) Exactly right. There you go. Like you you want it to be five, six, (laughs) a zero. It is like, (laughs) and I think that, and I know some people who dislike that about trad where it's like, God, like the route finding sucks. Like I hate not knowing where I'm supposed to go. I always feel like I'm off route. I just wish that there were bolts here. I just want to do it the right way. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And like, I actually like it a lot better when there isn't a right way. Yeah. I don't like when there's I, sometimes, and I, I think that's a lot of way I don't like to climb in the gym. Mm-hmm. I'm like, who says that this is how I have to go? Yeah. And I always tell people like, oh, what if I touch another color? I'm like, who gives a crap? Right. If you're outside and there's something to touch, you will touch it. <laughs> totally. Like, are you kidding me? Like, if you're dumb, if you don't, this totally. is your safety. Yeah. <laughs> something that I was gym climbing with Alex a while ago and he was like, I was climbing something and he was like, yo, you're doing that wrong. 
And I was like, well, it's working. Yeah, right. Like, I'm getting to the top. But then the flip <laughs> side of that is that when I've climbed outside with him and he's like given me like a hard beta spray down, it's like he right. Like I'll like yeah. <laughs> I'll like go to something with the wrong hand and he'll be like, you did that backwards. And I'll be like, fuck, I did do it backwards. And then you're just like totally screwed and the sequence is broken and you can't fix it. And we talked about that yeah. today. Like like tens, you can you can fight your way through. But like mm-hmm. once you get like to 11s and 12s, mm-hmm. they are pretty much you're right. climbing beta all the time. Totally. And which it's like, sucks. Yeah, breaking the beta isn't. <laughs> Like sometimes you can do it in the gym, but mostly like the beta breaks you. Like it's not, <laughs> you can't fake that shit. Totally. Yeah. Totally true. But I, I think it is funny because you can break it down by personality type. Mm-hmm. I bet you could go into sections of even like what kind of trad you like and what kind of sport and blah, blah, blah. But it would be very similar to what was that card when, when I came over for dinner the other day, the card. Oh, the game superpower thing. cards. That was so cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's an easy way to make one to apply to any sport, but mm-hmm. something with multi-disciplines like climbing, I think you can break it down a little easier because there's mm-hmm. just so many different ways you can it can be viewed right it's like enjoyed. yeah yeah it's like those things where it's like this like oh like stereotypes about boulders or sport climbers or trad climbers it's like sometimes they're based in reality like, very much so <laughs> i mean like if i look at the times that i'm into really heavily into one of those three mm-hmm. i am a dramatically different person during those times huh yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I all I, I've never really been into bouldering. I definitely drink more beer when I'm sport climbing, but I think it's because it's like I'm if I'm my favorite places to sport climb. It's like you're car camping, you're posted up, you're like kicking it with friends. It's like most of my trad climbing, I feel like is like okay, we're fucking doing this. This is serious. <laughs> totally. Even it's, if it's just like a chill multi pitch, it's still like a it's like a daytime activity. Oh, it's like, pretty on. Yeah, I mean, totally. Well, like having the conversation with oh, I'll never remember his name. Max. No? Whose name did you forget? The, from the gym today. Oh, Tom? I think you're just going through generic names. <laughs> Jim? Jim? I think Tom. Matt. I'm sticking with Tom. <laughs> oh, Tom sounds good. Maybe yeah. it's Tom. Tom feels right to me. But so Tom. Tom. <laughs> Not Nick. Tom. But having the, the, the skills conversation and just the knowledge conversation. Um, like that, I think that's some really critical stuff that maybe gets missed in a lot of gym scenarios totally um yeah i mean it makes me think about how i don't know i feel like especially as a lot more people learn to climb in the gym and people learn to climb without access i mean this is like kind of a this is a topic that gets talked about a lot but like the mentorship gap yeah it's like a part of me is like that's bullshit i've always had access to mentors but like i live in salt lake city where most of my friends are really competent yeah and when i started climbing i had access to multiple people with like I mean, like my little brother had been trad climbing for like a decade. Like my buddy Keith has like guided before. He's like the director of the technical institute at Petzl. He's been a rope access tech, like having access to all these people with these really diverse skill sets and also being a single woman who was comfortable climbing with men. Like it was really easy to find partners when I was first learning to climb. And like, I got to learn a lot really fast. Certainly. And I see people at the gym where I'm like, I bet you you're the only person in your friend group who climbs like, no wonder your harness is on backwards. Right. Like, it's like, they're like, no wonder you look like a huge Gumby. Cause like who will help you see? And that's, that's what's been really interesting and kind of addicting for me to jump into the diversity space. Mm. Um, because, and I want to make sure I say this correctly, which I won't. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, like I, I can't say anything right. Uh, <laughs> even though I am a person of color, uh, huh. I am a classically like just 
in shape person because I work right. out a lot. Like I've not totally. always been in shape, but like I'm physically fit. So someone else say like, oh, okay, well that Asian dude, well at least he's in shape, so he probably has some sense of like skill set. Right. Um, but a lot of people who are from diverse backgrounds mm-hmm. um, who might not quote look the part, right? Obviously, have a lot hard, yeah, a lot harder time finding partners and mentors because totally. someone's gonna think. Well, I'm going to have to pull your ass up everything right. we do. You're not so going to know what way. to do. Totally. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. And that's, uh, I think that's rather unfortunate, but also, you know, we're, we're, we're working hard to change that. But I think gyms can play a vital role in that because mm-hmm. that's most people's intro. Totally. Yeah. No, I think it's interesting. And I mean, yeah, I remember really vividly when I was first learning to like sport lead and like build anchors and clean anchors and stuff. The like <laughs> the final um, sort of like step in every process that I was taught is like, look at your system and ask yourself, am I about to die? <laughs> Which honestly, <laughs> I think is a really good thing to instill. I mean, that's what I do anyways. I'm like, will this kill me? Okay, cool. It Totally. Won't. Because like, that's where you're like, that's where you're going to die. Absolutely. Like, um, which like, just as a side note, I, I feel like learning, reading the American Alpine Club's accidents book has been like, such a huge part of me like thinking critically about systems and like yes. chatting about it with partners and trying to figure out what went wrong. Cause like so often you read those and you're like, God damn it. I can totally see how that happened. Yeah. Like that could have been me. I push everyone that I can to read it. It's mm-hmm. the, you, you should, you, totally. it's like required reading if totally. you want to go outdoors. Right. And people are like, Oh, it like kind of wigs me out. And I'm like, you know what will wig you out more? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like fucking falling. Exactly. Yeah. And it's always simple. It's predominantly, at least in 2018, I haven't gotten through all of 2019 yet, mm-hmm. on lowering. Totally. Poor communication. Totally. The, the confusion about lowering or repelling and like, oh. yeah. And something that, so it's interesting. Like, so I took my um, AMGA single pitch instructor exam like a year and a half ago, probably. Oh, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, so I'm an SPI. Well, not right now because my AMGA membership isn't current, but I would be if my AMGA membership <laughs> was current. Um, which, as a side note, I took my course and my exam with Elena Arenz, who is a stone-cold badass and, like, such a good educator, and she just won Educator of the Year at the AMGA meeting. And so, like... That's awesome. If, you ever, if you're ever taking your SPI, try to take it with Elena. She's, like, unbelievable. Um, and just, like, such a delight to be around. But... Um, one of the reasons why I took my SPI was because I wanted to, I wanted to teach people gym to crag stuff. Like that was really yes. what I was excited about. That's awesome. Um, because I think that there's this huge gap and I think especially for people who aren't men, like I learned to climb from men mostly. Like I learned how to sport lead from a friend's girlfriend, which was like kind of unusual. Like most people I know, yeah. most women I know didn't learn to climb from other women. Um, but most of my more complex skills I learned from partners who are dudes. And I think that there's like this huge potential for building like capacity and like empowering people and like giving them a sense of like control and self-sufficiency and expertise in that bridge from like I gym climb to like I can go outside and like be the person who knows. Totally. And like be the person who like looks at somebody's anchor and says like, yo, that's dangerous and here's why. Absolutely. Like that's really the piece that I thought that I like really wanted to be working on. And with the Hanel Foundation blowing up, like that's not the direction my life is going in right now. But the way this links back is that climbing with Alex, like I sort of jumped straight from like climbing with normal people to climbing with like fucking Alex Honnold. Yeah. And like <laughs> we haven't gotten it's a outside. Bit of a jump. It's like a, just a touch. We haven't gotten outside that much, but something that stood out to me immediately is that like in my circle of friends, I'm the person who's like, yo, that's gonna be bullshit. Don't do that. Like that's like that's not efficient. Like, how can you make this better? Like the system is illogical. Like you need to back that up. And then I go out with Alex and everything I do is like, 
I feel like a cartoon of just like an explosion where like I'm exploding out like all my shit's everywhere. I'm so slow. Like everything looks like like a total disaster. Like I can't manage the rope. I can't belay. Like everything I do is just like atrocious. But a part of it is that when you're climbing at that level, it's like you distill it down to just like the bare, bare, bare essentials. Yeah. Like you go sport climbing with Alex and it's like rack of quick draws, gree rope. And from his perspective, you don't need anything else. And you go climbing with him and I'm like, oh yeah, Right. Like I don't need anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And like my SPI brain is like slings, like all the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally all the shenanigans. <laughs> well, it's like PAS, everything you need. <laughs> totally. Well, fuck PAS is, but that's a separate conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Such nonsense. Agreed. But I mean, Agreed. but still it's a, it's a gradient though. Right. Because yes, like fuck PAS is, but there I am with like 500 double length <laughs> nylon slings, like <laughs> looking like a fucking goober. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, it's like on some level, I feel like it's all everybody someday you will be the junk show it's like be careful be careful when you make fun of junk shows because you too are a junk show to someone right there's always a bigger like yeah there's always a higher level right exactly another thing up the food chain yeah someone always knows more than you which i'm kind of into honestly no and that's how we learn yeah totally that and i think that you're so right in that you have to have that fundamental amount of skills and knowledge like you need to know how to use a pas Mm -hmm. to go to a point when you can understand like maybe why you'd always have to have some $80 piece mm-hmm. of, you know, crazy technology on right. you. And that might actually make things a little mm-hmm. messier. I would argue that you tight. don't need to know how to use a PAS. I think PASs are fully stupid, <laughs> but you need to know what it's supposed to be doing and how you can implement something. The else. fundamental. Yeah. It's like the principal yeah, side. of Absolutely. Things. Yeah. Because like you don't need a PAS if you're sport climbing, like a couple quick draws can basically do the same thing. Absolutely. But like, a lot it's more efficient. Totally. It's just about like understanding why. Exactly And right. I think that's missing for so many people. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And that's actually, it's funny you say that because, or if I back up about yeah, the yeah. SPI and wanting to do Jim to Crag, because mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I the first time I climbed, like so many people was in a gym mm-hmm. and that, that community introduced me. They started to invite me along to outdoor trips after mm-hmm. like a month. Um, and so for me, it was it was awesome. It was a great rite of passage and I won't name any names, but there was a certain small group of them where you still had to prove yourself by essentially just gutting through really sketchy scenarios. Mm. And I, I shouldn't say sketchy, but maybe stuff that was what you should yeah. not have been doing. Suboptimal. There we go. Suboptimal. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's not safe. Right. I loved it because that was my personality, but it's certainly not safe. And I would not ever support people doing that. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of had to like get through all that and build my skills and kind of have my anti-gym period of my climbing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, pulling a plastic. Gym climbing is a real I climbing. don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I've been in the gym like every day for the past two weeks. Yeah, because it's, it's basically your house. It's basically where I live now, yeah. <laughs> it's a and, nice gym. Um, so I've been rethinking that whole thing, like how critical that is. Right. We know it's getting more popular, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. Yeah, It'll totally. help us maintain areas. So people need, there need to be people teaching these skills. For sure. Um. And, you know, like a really, and I think from an outdoor perspective, because mm-hmm. like, totally. this is what you want to do this for, right? So here are the scenarios you're going to mm-hmm. get in and you don't need to have a million pieces of equipment on you. You need to right. know what they do. So mm-hmm. how do you can, you know, do something with what you have for sure and not be scared. Yeah, totally. And I think too, I mean, thinking about the whole, like, it is a good thing that more people are climbing. Like it's brought like immense joy and opportunity into my life and Same. like more people should have that. Like absolutely, it's not should. just for us. And I yeah. feel like you hear people talk about like, oh, like crags are getting so busy. And it's like, y'all, we weren't doing that good of a job at this before either. No, like no, we everyone's always been shitting in two inch deep holes and putting a rock on it. It's just that now there are too many people to get away with it. Exactly right. And I think that that like, there's like a little bit of a like, 
not holier than thou exactly, but just remembering that it's like, it's not, it never was ours, you know? And like, I'm a relatively newer climber compared to a lot of people, but like, it was never mine either. Like, it just doesn't, I think making it possible for people to use spaces in a way that's more responsible. I mean, like, it's about all of us. It's not just newer climbers. Like one of my goals last year was like, do a better job pooping outside. It's like, I'm, I've been doing it my whole life, but like, (laughs) I have definitely been known to dig a hole that is not deep enough. And like, I've started carrying a trowel and like wag bags because like, I'm trying to be better. It's like, I think that's something a lot of us can work on. I agree. I mean, I I would say the exact same thing that you just said about myself. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And there's always things we can get better at. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing that I've been like maybe recounting, because I'm a newer climber as well. It's yeah. been like three years. Mm-hmm. I think that there was always a sense of the good old days, right? right? Yeah. And there is a big influx, so it's harder to have those one-on-one kind of mentorships. Mm-hmm. Like there are a few people, they probably don't even know how much they mentored me, but it could have just been one day in Joshua Tree, right. learning some essential skills mm-hmm. and like cool mm-hmm. tips from an old sage climber. That stuff probably isn't going to happen as much. So I feel like even as a newer climber, I might've been on the tail end of that stuff, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that there can't be mentorship. And so totally. big group lessons are very critical and make people feel more comfortable too. Like yeah. we can all not know what the hell we're doing together. Right. And I think too, <laughs> like when we talk about mentorship, everyone has this image of like this person will like choose me. Yes. It's like everybody's seeing Jordan and Mark <laughs> Like, totally. like hugging on a ledge, like talking about their magical day together. And it's like, not everybody gets to be Jordan and Mark. Like, not at all. Totally. It's like some of us have people who like we climb with occasionally who teach us a lot. Yeah. And like, I would say the closest I've come in my sort of like climbing experiences to having like a real mentor is my friend Nikki Smith who you know as well and who's Mm -hmm. like the most delightful human being and like so competent. Yes. Um, Yes. And like last winter, she for some reason decided that like she was down to take me ice climbing, (laughs) which like, how did I get so lucky? Like, (laughs) like, and it's so fun. And ice climbing is one of those things where it's like, Jesus, the barriers to entry are so gnarly. Yeah. Um, But she's, she's the only person I've had where it's like consistently like, I know I can count on Nikki to like, deal with me when I'm being a little bit of a shenanigan because like I'm a tiny baby ice climber. And also like she keeps inviting me out. Like she's making space for me. She like lent me her tools all last season. Um, and like that, that's like the closest I've come to that kind of mentorship and it's super powerful and I'm so grateful for it. And like not everybody, there aren't enough Nikki's in the world, right? Yes. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there like have to be other ways too. Yeah. And that, I, I love the, the term, uh, making space and like mm-hmm. taking up space. The space is getting fuller, right? Right. But I don't think it, I don't think it's a it's a it's not a finite amount of space. We right. just have to have more people who know it, who are willing to to be Nickies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that knowing that all of us have the opportunity to do that, like exactly right. I think like thinking about the way that we teach skills and like remembering that like in some ways you learn skills to teach them. Like if you really care about the community and like you care about your friends and like you care about people like your friends feeling like safe and welcomed. It's like when you learn a new skill, like know it well enough to teach it. Absolutely true. Because like you're, I mean, and I feel like that's true even with people who you feel like you have really similar skill sets to. It's like, we've all climbed with different people. We all learn different things. Like I was climbing with um, a friend recently and he was rigging his anchor in a way that I hadn't seen before. He was like using a quick draw on one of the bolts instead of just a carabiner. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, why are you doing that? And he's like, oh, like I learned this from one of the like old dudes who I aid climb with. It means you can just clip your haul bag or whatever to the carabiner at the bottom of the quick draw. And like, I like doing it because I like clip my pack to it when I'm multi-pitching or like, like gives me a way to like manage things. And I was like, oh, that's like kind of slick. And then when you start moving, you just clip that. 
as your as your like oh shit piece yeah, before you leave sure. the anchor. And it's like little things like that. It's like that doesn't revolutionize anything in my no. life, but it's cool. And I understand why he did it. And like now I have that information. Exactly. And now you can pass that information on like you just did. You know, totally. just add these little efficiencies and skills. Mm-hmm. And I think to be fair to to ourselves and to other people, right? This bridges well into another conversation or another bit that I want to talk about. Like yeah. I can sit here and talk a lot about, you know, getting involved in your local climbing or running or whatever kind of group it is to help Mm -hmm. spread these other things. But I also sit here with a great luxury and privilege of time right now. Yeah, Yeah, you do. (laughs) (laughs) Because I chose this shit. No. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for real though. But like, so, you know, not everyone has that. And I'm sure you get this a lot too in your friends group or people that know your friends or friends of friends, like, how did you make that jump? And can I talk about that? And like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, but like, it's going to look entirely different from you because our privilege and our background and our yeah. scenarios are, are so different. But what's not different is how happy you, you can become totally. when you make that. So what, what was the determiner to you? Because you had, I mean, a wonderful education from a very, very respected school and you had the trajectory of your career, I'm sure was, was very high. What was it that, caused you to make that jump and say, you know what, Mm -hmm. this is not the life for me. Yeah. So I was working at the University of Utah Orthopedic Center, um, which is the ortho hospital in town. And I was a project administrator and I was getting paid a lot of money and had great benefits. And I had been recruited into a PhD program in population health sciences, which is it's basically public health. And like, they didn't make me take the GRE. It was only going to take a couple years. Like, wow. didn't I like didn't have to have a master's to start. It was like a pretty sick setup. I could do the PhD and keep my job at the same time. Wow. Yeah. So it was like, I said, yes. I had also been accepted to a service design program at Parsons in New York but it was low residency and really expensive and I didn't want to travel to New York and I, I just did, I picked the PhD instead. And yeah, I mean like my job at the hospital was good. It was like, I was being paid really well and I had been doing really interesting work. It had gotten a little bit less interesting as I got better at it, if I'm totally honest. Like as I started dialing it all in, it was like, it wasn't as new. Um, mm-hmm. But from the outside, I had it all figured out. Like I could like take the afternoon off to go climbing and like it was totally good to go. Like I took a couple of weeks off and visited my friends in Korea and like that was sick and like nobody cared. I was just like, I got my shit done. I'm going to go to Seoul. Like I'll be back. And my manager wow. was like, have fun. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was a good job. Like good job, like a capital G, capital J. And um And between that and the PhD program, I was kind of on track to be like a a successful hospital administrator, essentially. That's pretty big. (laughs) Yeah. But what I realized is that I didn't really want to be a hospital administrator, like successful or unsuccessful. And that I wasn't super engaged by my work in healthcare anymore. And I joke that I quit my PhD program because I didn't want to take my statistics final. And like, that's not not true (laughs) but I mean the broader decision that led to me I quit my job and my PhD program at the same time um the bigger decision was just realizing that like I was on a track to a place that I didn't want to go really yeah um and I was investing all of my time and energy into arriving to a destination I wasn't particularly interested in and and parts of it were great. I like really loved learning about epidemiology. Like that shit's super cool. I think in a different life I could have ended up working on stuff that has to do with that. Um, 
but it just wasn't making me happy. And I think it's really easy to look at something like that, a job like that, that's like you're getting paid really well. You're getting a lot of sort of like external validation on your work and say, I should stay here. Like this is good enough. Mm -hmm. But at the time I was in my late twenties and like, I just, I don't think that we should have to settle. And there's a lot of interesting work out there. And, and I quit to focus on, I'm, I write and I was quitting to focus on freelance writing and to climb and travel. And I was teaching wilderness medicine for a local company. And so I was going to do some more work with them, but mostly I was quitting to just like see what happened next. And it wasn't that, I mean, it sucked on some level. Like it would be a lie if I was like, and it was amazing. And like, then I started working for Alex Honnold and like my life fell into place. And like, I'm everything is perfect now. It's like, that is not what happened. Like the first couple of months were super fucking hard. I would wake up and I would be like, my life has no structure. It's like, Oh God, like what am I doing? Um, and like, it turns out that freelance writing means spending a lot of time writing stupid shit. You don't care about before anyone will let you write anything interesting. Yeah. Um, but I did get a lot of the things that I wanted. Like I got to travel a ton. I got to spend a bunch of time climbing with friends in really interesting places. Um, and because I had all that time, I was able to reach out to the Autumn Foundation right after Alex climbed Freerider and be like, yo, like I want to do this stuff for you. I'll do it for free. Like here's my contact information. And that's how I got started. Hell yeah. Um, and I, and I always do like to like include in this story though. It's like all that shit was possible because I had savings and like I had savings because I had a good job and no student loans. Yeah. And like, that's important. Like it's like very important. Yeah. It's like, I feel like everyone's like, isn't it amazing? And I'm like, yeah, it's amazing. You know what else is amazing? Class privilege. Yes. <laughs> it's like, yeah. and I, yeah, I think it's important to like contextualize that. I mean, I have this ability because of major class privilege. I grew up middle class, but that affords you a lot. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a huge starting point. And then, yeah, I had a really good job and really good benefits and great pay and all these things that ostensibly were very good. And they are very good, but they mm -hmm. weren't serving. But because of all the privileges afforded to me, I was able to parlay that into a contract position totally. with that mm -hmm. in that same space. And so I can work as I choose to maintain a lifestyle that allows me to essentially be free. I mean, free to do what I want, how I want. Right. And I can preach on about how everyone should do that and put mm -hmm. the steps in place, like start your side hustle now, but it's freaking exhausting. Totally. And like, not everybody can. And like, that's not, I think sometimes there's this discourse where it's like, follow your dreams. And it's yeah. like, yo, some people have to like, like not everybody gets to do that. Yeah, exactly. And like, I think it's important to like, to pair the narrative of like, what an amazing thing that happened to you with like, and also like, just because this was possible for me doesn't mean it's possible for everybody. Like sometimes no matter how hard you try, you have, you know, $80,000 of student loans you need to pay off and you don't have the privilege of not having steady income for a year. Exactly right. And like, that doesn't mean that you're like less valid as a person. Like that doesn't mean yeah. you aren't following your dreams. Like that doesn't mean you aren't a stone cold badass who like knows what they want. It's just like, you know, it's just shitty sometimes. Yeah. And that like the thing about privilege is it's awesome and everybody should have it. But also the thing about privilege is not everybody does. Exactly. So, and, and to be able to discuss that openly mm -hmm. is it, challenging. I think for some people to, to find the right words to do it. Yeah. Cause it's not a hard conversation to have. It's a little like, yeah, I have this and mm -hmm. that person doesn't. And it allowed me to be able to do a lot more things 
But like you just said, it doesn't mean they don't have it within them. Right. Their circumstance just seriously doesn't allow them to do it. Totally. And I think it's hard to talk about without feeling like you're like bragging or something. There's this culture of like, don't talk about, don't talk about your financial status. It's like not appropriate. But I think that it's just as inappropriate to tell a story about, you know, growth and exploration and like, and a career path like the one I've had without naming the fact that like, yeah, but like my finances have kind of made this possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it's not that I'm like, yeah. And it's not that I'm trying to be like, hello everyone. I'm rich because like, that's yeah. not the point. Right. <laughs> it's just that like, it's, I feel like it would be disingenuous to, to tell this story without acknowledging the fact yeah. that like, yo, also like I was lucky, like I didn't have to pay off student loans and like that has helped make this possible for me. I've worked uh, for business owners that have worked very, very, very hard to get where they were, mm-hmm. but what they leave out of their story, they have some some very sobby part of the story. Mm-hmm. What they forget to tell people is the amazing class privilege. <laughs> totally. Generational wealth, y'all. Right? Yeah. I'm like, you do realize like their parents were executives in like huge fortune, like five companies right Right. like you don't not get help from mom and dad when that's the scenario right and it's like (laughs) even if mom and dad aren't giving you money the fact that like maybe you can go to the bank of parents for the loan for your car so you don't have to pay interest like you know you're never going to be homeless like you know that like if you don't have health insurance and you get in a horrible accident you're probably not going to go bankrupt because like somebody can bail you out like exactly that kind of thing like i don't think it can be underrated when we think about how you make choices no I, i tell my parents constantly the reason I can make these choices is because I know that they're going to, they would always, and I would never want that. Mm-hmm. But when you, when they support you and they believe in you and you know that that is a, the bank of parents is a great way to put it. Yeah. They, my parents are seriously not, not, not wealthy at right. all, but they would do anything they could right. to give me like $5 if I needed it. And, <laughs> right. and they have in the past. They've really helped right. me out. And they can. Yeah, it's and like it's can, not that exactly. parents who can't do that don't want to. It's like, yo, if you don't have the money, you don't have the money. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, and I think it's a conversation that I don't hear that much in the space no. where we talk about like, you know, spending time outside and like following your dreams and like yeah. all that stuff. It's <laughs> like no one ever talks about like, yo, like how, how'd you buy your car? Yeah, right. Like, are you paying off loans? Like, do you have like, like medical debt? We've talked about that too. Yep. It's like, everybody's getting in accidents. Like, how are we paying that off? Like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> talk to me if you need to. <laughs> but that's like, I think that has to happen. We really need to talk about it more yeah. and more. And it, I think it needs to come along with the diversity conversation. Totally, dude. Because those diverse groups have not had the privilege right. that, that someone like you or I have had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think about this one, and it's in a similar vein. Everyone talks about like, well... You know, if we can kind of bring this whole thing full circle. It's hard to like go afford to get a guided trip to pay for the skills. So, mm-hmm. okay, I get that. Yep. But at the same time, pretty sure that you have like three Patagonia jackets. Yep. And the cost of two of those would have paid for that course. Totally. Yeah. It's but like that's a also like, thing. and there's, and there's like the barrier to entry is some yep. people feel like they need to look the part. Right. To be for outdoors. Sure. Which like I empathize with. And like, I am that asshole who's like, yo, that person looks ridiculous. Like, I feel <laughs> like, you know, it's like, I, I definitely have drank the Kool-Aid on like having a clean pack. You know, it's like if your pack has got a bunch of shit jangling off the back of it, it's like I always I have I mean, like I'm a deeply judgmental person. Like, I won't lie. And like, I have that feeling of being like, that looks ridiculous. You <laughs> sent me a reply to a story one time Call- about my pack <laughs> saying you look like a junk show. You did. It was efficient. Sure it was. But I mean, that's <laughs> the point, right? It's like, first of all, yeah, like careful who you call a junk show, lest you become it's like the, like glass houses and stones or whatever yeah, but with junk shows. Yes. But yeah, I mean, I think that that. 
looking the part means people take you seriously. It's very, very true. And, and I feed into that as well, especially mm-hmm. when I first started. Totally. Um, cause I've been an outdoorsy person all my life. So I knew exactly like what that would look like. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's all about, I mean, you're right. We yeah. judge each other very quickly and how mm-hmm. serious and like, you know, if you see someone looks like a junk show, maybe come up with like a, a whatever bag they happen to have. Right. And they have a toad over the show. Like, oh, yeah, here we toad. go. But they're going to have a music and beers. Right. And like, oh, how was the gym climbing yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's like, God damn it. Like, I don't know. I want to be better. It's like, I feel like we're, we're all like that. And like, I do like, I feel like everybody I know does that. And it's like, like, who cares? It's like, exactly. I, hear, I hear myself doing it. And then I also hear myself being like, this shit doesn't matter. <laughs> Same. But this is how it starts. We have the conversation. Right. We talk about our class privilege that got us where we are mm-hmm. we talk about how we all judge each other and mm-hmm. maybe if we stopped doing that people would not have to buy the latest release of right. this particular clothing item and mm-hmm. put that money into safety courses totally um and maybe we can I, one dream i really really am serious about is having a grant program that can help people mm-hmm. come from underprivileged areas or just diverse backgrounds in general to get access to those mm-hmm. courses and, and totally. provide grants for that because boy, it's not, it's not easy to afford and mm-hmm. it shouldn't be cheap. Right. I right. Mean, yeah. Like guides should be getting paid for they sure. Be getting like, paid that's very well. Yep. And they're, they're, they're risking, you know, their safety for other people. And right. So I don't want that initially to come down the price of that. Right. But people, there should be more money available totally. to pay them. Well, and I think that the AMGA, the American Mountain Guides Association, is doing really good work around that. Um, yeah, Monse, whose last name I can't remember, is doing incredible work, like thinking about like how to like increase access, and like the AMGA is doing like they've done like a women's only. I don't know if they called it women's only, or basically it was like a no dudes allowed SPI. Yeah, I saw um, that. A few of my friends were in that. It was totally, awesome. me too. And it's like that's amazing. That's like, so good. I was actually lucky enough that my SPI course was only women it was a coincidence um (laughs) but like i think that creating spaces like that is is really important and influencing the guiding community first is a really great great way to like start that process oh agreed um because i think that that's i mean but also like i don't know the guiding community is like they're like putting in work right now it's really cool to to see that from the outside and like see the the changes that are happening and like the real desire to like increase in, to make these spaces more not just accessible but like inclusive for folks who haven't traditionally felt safe yeah. there and i think to it it speaks to a broader movement in the outdoor industry to like shift our politics beyond public lands like public lands matter but like your politics shouldn't begin and end with public lands and i think that that's kind <laughs> yeah. of been where we've been at for like a long time and um at the access fund summit in seattle this fall my friend nikki was one of the keynotes and she gave this incredible speech. It was like the room was totally fucking silent. Like you could hear a pin drop. I w- and I wish that I could like quote it more effectively. But the gist of it was like she was talking about how if you're a trans woman, like there's a lot of terrible shit happening to trans women in America and everywhere. She told a story about a woman who was attacked for using a bathroom at a state park and ended up getting dragged behind a car. And it's like she's trying to pee, y'all. Like it's like it knowing that that kind of thing is happening to trans women on our public lands. It's like, yo, if, like if I'm trans and I'm trying to go climbing, it's like, or like if I'm a person of color and I'm like driving through a small town, it's like, I'm worrying about my safety when I stop to pee at a gas station. And, and I can understand why, and this is what Nikki talked about. She was like, look, if, if you're thinking about that, like I'm not going to show up to your workshop on like 
trail work because like I'm over here trying not to perish on my way to the crag, you know? Yeah. And I think like broadening the conversation and helping people who don't have that experience think more critically about what that means and like what those implications are and, and working hard to, to like protect those people and to like include them and create spaces for them and listen to them and defer to them. Like, I think that that's really where like the mentorship gap, I think is a, is a big challenge, but I think even more than that, it's like making sure that we're not just calling in people who look like us. Also, I also feel like it's important for me to say, since this is a podcast, I'm white. Like I like, (laughs) I like I'm white and I'm like cisgendered and like, so I like, this is not my personal experience. And I think that's like important to name, but side note, um, I saw this amazing tweet. I think it was, I think Jacob Tobiah posted it, but it was, what if we divide instead of dividing gender bathrooms by gender, what if we divided them by pee versus poop? (laughs) (laughs) That that is way better better it makes oh my God. so much oh more sense God. i was like reflecting on like the design innovations that could occur if that was the way bathrooms were divided it's like imagining just like the luxurious oh, pooping man. bathroom stalls that go all the way to the floor yes. like imagine it and then like no very unfortunate surprises when all you have to do is pee and they're like oh man like, oh no this is terrible <laughs> yeah dude i think it's like a brilliant innovation that so that's is a, so good it's a sidebar but um but yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think like that, and I mean, it's what Nikki talked about in her speech. It's like, we talk about like, we need to be better at X, Y, and Z. And it's like, yo, okay, you need to be better at X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And also maybe ask other people what's preventing them from digging into those skills. And I think like mentorship gap is a part of it. But sometimes I feel like mentorship gap is like a way of like, dog whistling that like people aren't asking for help or like the wrong, like new climbers are bad. And like, I just don't buy that. And I think it's like, it's got implications that the changes in the climbing community are not wanted. And like, shoot, I mean, if we don't think these are good changes, then I don't want to be here. You know what I mean? (laughs) Same here. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want anything to do with it if we don't think they're good. Totally. (laughs) Well, Dory, um, I'm just going to throw it over to you. Okay. To end the podcast however you want to. Any message, any story, any joke, anything you have that you want people to know. Okay, I have two things. The first is that everyone should be reading young adult fantasy novels in their free time. Um, They're awesome. (laughs) What? Yeah, I actually feel really strongly about this. This this goes back to the type one fun thing. Specifically young adult fantasy. Not just any book for enjoyment, but that specifically. Specifically like young adult fantasy and like science fiction. It's like that shit's paced like a television show because (laughs) 14-year-olds have no patience. Okay, good point. It's deeply engaging. And like I think that it's a good... It's a good way to remember that reading is extremely fun and like rejuvenating and oh, like it has brought a lot of type one fun into my life recently. I like don't like to read them on like planes because they're usually like six inches thick with like a picture of a princess on the cover and it's like a little <laughs> bit embarrassing. Um, but yeah, hit, hit me up if you want recommendations. Um, That's legit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that I've been thinking about a lot recently and mostly in the context of work is... Um, the whole idea of like everything being impermanent and the Conrad anchor version of that is hold fast all storms pass, um, which is catchy cause it rhymes. <laughs> yeah. And, um, another guy who, um, he's a tech guy who's sort of been involved with the Honol foundation recently as a donor, the way he talked about it was like everything passes, even the good things. And it sounds a little bit fatalistic, but I think that it can be really helpful when, um, I don't know when like things are 
difficult and like confusing. It's like things pass and like that's good. Um, the the climbing variation on it that like I always laugh about is like this is what you came for. Like when you're like cruxing and miserable and like <laughs> wish you were literally any place else. It's like, yo, this is what you came for. Yeah. And also like all things pass. I've been like finding those frameworks really helpful recently when I think about um, doing stuff that's hard. Um, yeah. So that and fantasy novels. <laughs> that, I feel like that is the perfect like way for it to, for you to end. It's like really, really, really like philosophical mm. life and, and fantasy novels are very yeah, important. Both things. I, both things. I love it. Dory, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm thank you. Glad Glee. it finally happened. Oh yeah. Getting it done. <laughs> and that's the show. Thank you so much, Dory, for taking the time to sit for the Wilder Mind podcast. And thank you to everyone for continuing to support the pod. It's an absolute honor and privilege to be here with all of you. And I cannot wait for every new day. The Wilder Mind podcast is hosted and produced by yours truly. Theme music by Alexis Tia and branding by Finletter Creative. As always, my friends, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and whoever you're there with, to your wildest self, be true. I can fear what I don't know. I can't ignore what's inside of me. Illuminations on something bold. Restless soul will follow.